as a leader or a director, the buck stops with me. Mm-hmm. I don't shy away from my responsibility. That doesn't mean that I can't try to make decisions with the best and greatest amount of information possible. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back. I'm excited today to be joined by Deshane Barnett. Deshane was recently named Director and Health Officer of the Missoula City County Health Department and is now just getting started in that position. Prior to that, Deshane served as Executive Director for All Nations Health Center, an organization dedicated to providing sustainable, healthy lives for Native people and the broader community through culturally-based holistic care. Deshane earned his bachelor's degree in sociology from the University of Montana, got a master's in health administration from UCSF, and is now back at UM working on his doctoral degree in public health. Deshane has been working on American Indian health for over 20 years and served in leadership roles both at the local and federal levels. We've got a lot of ground to cover with Deshane, so let's get into it. Deshane, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So first off, I got to congratulate you on your new position with the County Health Department. It's a huge job. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, an exciting and uh, anxious opportunity. And what an interesting time to sort of be assuming a leadership role of that scale. Yeah, entering a position that a year ago nobody knew what a health director was. Right. Today, it's a spotlight in many communities across the world. So, yeah. And this has to be particularly special given this is your hometown and and being able to really make an impact. Yeah, and that's, you know, my mom, I was talking to her and, you know, we, I haven't officially looked, but pretty sure I'm the first native health director Missoula County's ever had. Yeah. Um, At least in our collective memories, because, you know, Ellen's been there, you know, a long tenure, 30, 30 plus years. So first, first native health director in Missoula County and it. Happens to be the you know city where I was born, city where you know my husband and I are raising our son here, and yeah, it's I just I I couldn't be happier and and more excited and and anxious to try to do a good job. As you approach this opportunity to step into this leadership role, what are kind of some of your key priorities as as you start the job? My approach to pretty much every endeavor that I try to tackle is communication and relationship building. So I want communication to be transparent. I want it to be two-way. I don't want to be talking at people. I want to be talking with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, building relationships. I'm not ever going to be the end-all, do-all answer. I need to have, you know, people that I can rely on who, you know, are experts in this or have a skill and capability to do this and together bring us together as a team. And that's really, you know, the the idea behind a director, a leader, Um, you know, so my master's degree is in healthcare administration and interprofessional leadership. And that's the idea. The leader brings the team together mm-hmm. and, you know, put, is sort of the glue, that cohesion. But the, the team is really the one that I'm not going to do this on my own. Yeah. And you're coming in with a tremendous team and uh, such an interesting time. I mean, I, I just saw the, I think it was yesterday, the announcement of the mask mandate kind of getting rolled back. We're trying to up vaccinations. And it just seems like 
a time where there's a, there's there's some unity on some dimensions and then there's a lot of consternation on others as we approach this kind of hopefully a, a moment of of gradual reopening or some kind of a smart reopening how do you kind of think about that challenge ahead of us i mean there are definitely lessons learned yeah and there's an opportunity to uh, have a a real community and team-based approach at how we move forward but the other thing that is really important to remember public health experts are telling us this is not going to be the last public health emergency yeah. in our lifetime. Right. So we don't get to sit back and be like, all right, COVID's done. We have no more public health concerns for the rest of our lives. No, we, the lessons that we have learned here, we need to then turn into strategies for how to be better prepared for the next public health emergency. And that'll be a big part of what I want to do. Yeah. And you said at the onset that, you know, a year ago, or maybe a little bit more than a year ago, many folks didn't really pay attention to public health. They didn't really know what it was, what folks like you work on um, outside of pandemic. I mean, what are some of the challenges, health disparities, social determinants of exactly. health, some of these terms that folks might not really understand what they mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, when some of the interviews I've had in, in, in applying for this job, you know, one of the things that they ask is, Outside of COVID-19, we all know COVID-19 is a huge deal, but outside of COVID-19, you know, what are some of your priorities? And I do talk about, I know it's a, it's a buzzword, you know, social determinants of health, but it, and, and, and health disparities and health inequities. But the fact of the matter is Missoula as a county, Missoula as a community is better when we are healthier. Mm -hmm. And when I say we, that means across the board. If we keep more people healthier, we all benefit. Um, and so identifying and, and addressing where those disparities are, what causes those disparities, and instead of slapping a Band-Aid, actually address the root causes of inequities in health and work to keep people healthy. And that's really the job of the public health department. What are some of the approaches and interventions that kind of we know work? I mean, we had your one of your colleagues, uh, Lori Francis, on a year or so ago to talk about the work over at, at, at Partnership. And um, I mean, what is what is what are some of the what does some of the work look like that that you know that the, the average listener who just gets sick and goes to the doctor kind of wouldn't see or wouldn't understand in public health and you know specifically i've been working for the last 25 years in indian health mm -hmm. but in, in those realms what what i think sort of people escapes their thinking is that most of the time we are not dealing with like what we're dealing with right now you know a virus or a bacteria where you go in you know you take a pill you get a shot and everything's better we're dealing with lifestyle related conditions chronic health conditions sure. Those are complex, and those nine times out of ten can't be solved with you know just a prescription or a shot. There are systemic changes that need to be made within the community. There are behavioral changes that need to be made within individuals and families in order to address those illnesses and reduce the prevalence that we see of things like diabetes, heart disease, stroke, obesity, all of these things that are making people within our community sick and dis disproportionately certain people within our community are getting sick and sicker than others. Um, that's, I mean, these are very complicated, challenging issues that are not going to be solved with a prescription. 
And so what are some of the tools? I mean, it's, it's obviously not something that, you know, a physician is the person who's running point on it. There's probably a variety of contact points and systems you can use to, uh, to make a difference. Well, and that's, you know, so like I mentioned, my master's degrees in interprofessional leadership, it takes everybody. We all have to come. The doctor is absolutely essential. The doctor is important. What happens within the four walls of the exam room is important. It's just that the majority of healthcare does not take place within yeah. those four walls. Right. So when we're talking about, you know, health education, health promotion, the social determinants of health, you know, the fact of the matter is if somebody does come into a clinic, a doctor's office, and, you know, say they have diabetes or say they're dealing with substance use and we give them insulin, we give them Suboxone, but then we send them into an environment that doesn't allow them to be healthy, doesn't support them in being healthy nothing's going to change. We, mm-hmm. we wrote the prescription, we gave them the medication and we've changed nothing. Right. And so it's how can we then work with families, work with communities and work with systems so that we're allowing people to not just get healthy, but maintain health. So maybe let's focus now on your experience at All Nations. I mean, you're kind of wrapping up your, your tenure there. Um, first off, for, for listeners that aren't familiar with, with All Nations, tell us about the organization, what you, you know, your mission, and what, what you try to do. So All Nations has actually been around in Missoula for 50 years, well, yeah. 51 years now. So we were established in 1970. Over the course of those 51 years, uh, we've actually changed name five times so we're averaging about once a decade i'm i'm you know for you know my my own purpose i I hope we stick with all nations for a while um but i like uh, it exactly and yeah so but uh the organization itself has actually been around um now for more than 50 years we are what's called an urban indian health program and we are not part of the indian health service okay we receive contract funding from the indian health service just in the same way we're going to talk later about how we receive funding from Headwaters Foundation, mm-hmm. we receive funding from the Indian Health Service. We have a contract and two grants you know, that we've at one time or another had to compete for. We get those. Um, so we are not part of the Indian Health Service. We are just funded in part by the Indian Health Service. And you know, we have put together a, a comprehensive primary care center. So we have uh, medical, dental uh, went down during COVID and we haven't brought it back up yet, but we're getting ready to bring dental back up. Uh, behavioral health, which includes both mental health and substance use um, mm-hmm. and addiction services. Our health promotion, um, which you know I talked about earlier, you know, we wanna work to keep people healthy. Yep. And then we also have our traditional health services. So uh, we have uh, funding from the Indian Health Service for our traditional health practitioner. That includes things like, you know, ceremonies, um, spiritual counseling, all of those kinds of uh, traditional um, practitioner services. But all of our services are culturally congruent. So they're designed by Native people for Native people. Mm -hmm. They're open to everybody. Anybody who wants to use our services can. But what we see in public health is that when services are culturally congruent, they're more effective and more efficient. So they do more and cost less. We can tell people, you know, go to, you know, uh, and I absolutely adore St. Pat's. I'm on the board at St. Pat's. So this is not in any way saying that St. Pat's is not a great organization, but we can tell people, you know, go to St. Pat's and just do whatever the nutritionist there tells you to do. 
what we see is that that is not as effective and then ends up not being as efficient as if we put together a program that actually is culturally congruent, works with their worldview, their values, their family systems. And when we deliver services in a way that is actually congruent to, to how they think, how they operate, those services are more impactful. Can you give an example of some of these distinctions? Like, how do you, you know, some, maybe an example of the right sort of condition where somebody would seek care and where, you know, if they had gone to St. Pat's, it would have been con- culturally incongruent. But through your organization, you kind of understand how to deliver the, the, the experience. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, this is <laughs> nothing at all against St. Pat's. I love St. Pat's. Of course. Of course. I'm a huge advocate for St. Pat's, actually. Um, but, you know, so uh, one example that I use is that, you know, several years ago, we were trying to, because we didn't have a diabetes um, prevention or diabetes self-management program in-house. So we were referring people to St. Pat's. And what we were seeing is even though the the staff there was amazing and they were doing, you know, this great job and, and, and trying to really work with the, the patients, what we were seeing was a pretty low success rate. Um, mm-hmm. Patients weren't completing the program. Um, and then, you know, even when they were, not that much was really happening as far as, you know, sure. what we look for, uh, A1C, numbers like that. Um, and so then what we did was we brought that in-house and we designed our um, special diabetes program for Indians. And so then instead of, you know, the idea is we can tell people, you know, go to the good food store and, you know, buy fresh fruits and vegetables. Well, if you've never, if you've only grown up, you know, going to convenience stores and fast food. Sure. Go into the good food store. You don't even, when you walk in there, you don't even know yeah. where to go, much You're less. Overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. And so what we did was we actually changed the approach where we uh, developed some activities that allowed them to get familiar with the farmer's market, good food store but do it in a way that was what, so what we did was, you know, we would either give them lists of ingredients mm-hmm. or we also did um, a scavenger hunt at the farmer's market. Okay. They would, and, and we would work with them. So we would have staff there. Sure. They would find the ingredients and then we would take them back to All Nations Health Center and say, okay, all of these things that you got, we are now going to teach you how to turn these into a meal. And not only is it a meal, but this is actually traditional food from our people. So we're talking rice, bison, um, you know, and and got to tell the stories of how these foods traditionally were used, uh, cultivated, grown. And in doing that, they were like, oh, I have, okay, this I have an investment in wanting to know how to prepare these foods that way. And then they're more likely to actually do that and stick with it than if you just tell them, you know, here's a here's a voucher, go to the good food store and, and get some fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I mean, that sort of embodies that holistic term that I've seen prominently featured on your website. Plus, it also speaks to this notion of of trust. You know, you're dealing with you're dealing with people that have sort of a, a common uh, just sort of experience in history. And the concept of trust is something that we had wanted to talk about, and particularly in your role at All Nations, you were the you worked with Headwaters Foundation. Often, we spoke with Brenda Solerzano a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and she was talking about her approach to philanthropy is one that, and it for Headwaters, it's one that really defers to the 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 grantee to make the decisions as to what's right for for your organization. What's been your experience working with Headwaters and, and, and philanthropy in general? Maybe start there. Yeah, I mean, so in the work that I do, I've worked 
with philanthropy for many years. 20, I would, yeah, I would years. assume forever. And, you know, different community foundations, private foundations, healthcare foundations that provide funding. And up until my experience with Headwaters, I would say, I know how the game goes. I know how to play the game. That's why, you know, I'm able to get that funding is because I know what hoops to jump through. Sure. You know, I, I know what's expected of me and I know how to do it. And Brenda and Headwaters took that approach and completely turned it on its head. Hmm. And nothing that I have done with them over the last couple of years equates to all the rest of my 25 years of knowledge of how to work with private foundations. Yeah, so let's draw that out. So pr prior to your experience with Headwaters, it was the typical kind of institutional approach, this long, drawn-out application process, kind of this really hierarchical gatekeeper-like structure. And, exactly. and and you were successful in getting funding in that space. But yeah, I, I appreciate how you, you framed it as a game. You know, when you first intersected with Brenda and her team, did you think it was real? Like, what did you think of the approach? Like, how, how did how, what? Did, and you had previous experience with Brenda too. Yeah, right? and that's kind of you know what's what sort of framed the beginning of our relationship here. So listeners know. So Brenda was actually my project officer when she was at the Blue Shield of California Foundation, um, and that was a project on uh, patient engagement for urban Indian health programs, and and you know, totally enjoyed working with her, you know, loved her great support, but that was absolutely the institutional approach to philanthropy sure, in, sure. In, in every way, shape and form. And then here, you know, getting to meet with her and, you know, hear her say, well, things in headwaters, we're going to use this trust-based philanthropy approach and it's going to be different. I, I mean, I, I, I was pretty upfront with her telling her that that's just, great but i don't believe it um <laughs> like it's just everything she was saying i thought that sounds great yeah it's in 25 years i've never seen that actually play out so mm. you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that that's how it's actually gonna go a new angle is supported by first security bank blackfoot communications and um's college of business access to capital broadband and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is Jeff Petticord, and you're listening to A New Angle. And how did it go? Like, what, talk about your first grant experience or, or talking it, to peers that were working with Headwaters? No, and that's, yeah, so this was, you know, fairly early on in, in uh, you know, Brenda's tenure at, at Headwaters, so didn't really have a chance to talk to other people yet. And if, if anything, you know, the few people I talked to, we were all very skeptical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I let Brenda know that. I was like, Brenda, you, I get that you're saying trust-based. You Trust has to be earned. Like, you're talking to communities who time after time people have come in and said, trust us, yeah. and then we've been burned. <laughs> Whether it's funders, researchers, government, health, medicine, like, everybody says, come in and trust us. Yep. And then in the end, we get burned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're going to, you're, you're, approach is going to have to allow for a relationship building process, not just a trust building process. And to her credit and, you know, her staff and her board, they said, okay, we hear you. We understand that we cannot expect trust right out of the gate. So we're going to model trust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they did. And, you know, so our, our first funding um, uh, opportunity with them was exactly 
you know, what she said it would be in that she came, we sat in my office and she said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to fund. I want you to tell me what you need. Sure. And even in that first conversation, she could tell, she's like, to Shane, you're telling me what you think I want to hear. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Yep. I want to hear what you need, period, flat out. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't, you know, don't try to, to manipulate it to, to work for me. I want to hear what you need. Right. <laughs> and this, so by this time, you know, we were already 30, 40 minutes into the, this meeting. And I, only because it's Brenda, I'm, I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. And I'm going to tell you actually what we need. And we talked and I had funding for all of it. Wow. And it, it, I really credit that for All Nations' ability to grow and develop our programs and services in the way that we've been able to. Sure. All goes back to Headwaters, to Brenda, and to their trust-based philanthropy approach. So what was it that they funded that you probably – uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is this is probably something that another organization wouldn't have funded – or wouldn't have fit their paradigm. Ish. So okay. the the two main things that we got funded from them, I think one does fall in line with what a lot of funders would do. Okay. And that was our strategic plan. And sure. I was like, you know, we we know that we want to develop and grow our services. In order to do that well, we need to be intentional about that. Mm-hmm. The difference, though, is that, you know, to do a strategic plan well and to bring in a consultant who has a proven track word, track record and lots of expertise costs money. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's what I told her. I was like, I don't want to do a $500 strategic plan. Um, and so we, she said, okay, well, you tell me who you trust to do this. So uh, I chose a firm, KAI, which is Kaufman & Associates out of Spokane, mm-hmm. who has been working in Indian health for longer than I have, for four decades, this sure. organization, and has been including urban Indian health. So they understand intimately our work, our challenges, our opportunities, and, you know, they're a professional consulting firm, and it wasn't cheap, you know? So our our strategic plan, I paid more for that strategic plan than I've paid for any other strategic plan, and it was worth every dime. Sure. And so even though it was a strategic plan, which a lot of funders are on board with, it was she let me choose right who I was going to do, how I was going to do, and how much it was going to cost and then but then the other part of that was we as an organization need to have financial sovereignty we need to not be dependent on any one organization or funder we need to not be entirely dependent on the indian health service we need to not be entirely dependent on any federal agency any state agency any private foundation in order to do that the best way for us to do that is to build up our third-party revenue stream, um, which means things that we can bill for for Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance sure. that don't come with all of these strings attached like a grant or a contract would. We just provide the service and we get paid. Mm-hmm. And the more we can do and the more we get paid, the more money we have that we can then reinvest into other, other programs and yeah. services. In order to do that, I need people to come through my door. Mm. <laughs> As an organization that for the first 48 and a half years of its existence did not have comprehensive primary care, 
this, you know, convincing people that yes, you can come to us yeah. was an uphill battle. And I told her, I was like, you know, I need to do an advertising campaign. Nonprofits and and uh, private foundations, though, but most private foundations would be like, no, we are yeah. not going to pay for an advertising right. campaign. Yeah, that's not their language. No, exactly. No, they're not. And it's it's like you know, this is we want to pay for you know, mission services, probably like, you know, I want to be able to, you know, hold up, you know, something, you know, really colorful and pretty and mm-hmm. say that, you know, we paid for this event or, or that program. And I was like, but that's, that's not what I need. If you really want to fund what I need, and I'm just telling you, Brenda, this is what I need. I'm not expecting you to fund this, but you said, tell you what I really need. And this is what I really need. Not only did she fund it, but she threw support behind it and helping us. I'd never done a marketing and advertising campaign in yeah. the nonprofit world. You, nobody will pay us to do that. So we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no experience whatsoever in marketing and advertising. And so not only did she give us the funding, but you know, she through headwaters had, you know, connections with people who, you know, actually, you know, had production companies and services and, you know, would help us. And we ended up getting uh, commercials put together on, uh, put on television, put on the radio Headwaters facilitated uh, the beginning of our partnership with the Paddleheads at the time, the Ospreys, uh-huh. but now the Paddleheads. And the Paddleheads completely jumped at the chance to help us with all of our advertising. So our commercials were played um, in the stadium at every game, yeah. at the on the radio during their games, on the t- when their games were televised, <laughs> on the TV during their games, in addition to all of the other radio and TV spots that we were purchasing. And we saw a return on that. People started to know who we were, trust who we were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we saw was, you know, where we, in the beginning, when we first opened our primary care services, it was really slow getting people in the door. Sure. We now have enough people coming through the door that we are developing and and enhancing those third-party revenue streams. So you're able to realize a lot of that strategic plan. I mean, plan, so... You know these these gifts and this funding arrangement with Headwater seems like it's it's catalytic in so many ways. It, 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 and that's where I said if you really go back to it, Headwaters and Brenda get credit for almost all of our growth and development over mm. the last couple of years. It all relates back to that. Yeah. So as you kind of reflect on your tenure at All Nations and move on to the the next role, I mean, what what are you most proud of, and what do you maybe think like, man, if I had another year, I'd really like to knock that off my to do list. Yeah, and that's you know what I what I've been telling people is that I'm I, I'm excited and I'm honored to take on this role at the county. I don't feel like my job at All Nations is done, hmm. um, but it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> because yeah, it is yeah. done. <laughs> um, but if if my intention, you know, and if if I were there for another year or two. Uh, we are getting a, a building campaign off the ground. Okay. And, you know, so we right now, all of our spaces are leased. So, and we're, because we're leasing, so we now have three different spaces where we lease. So my staff, our programs are spread out across these three different locations. For those three different locations, I'm spending $12,000 a month in rent. Gosh, That's yeah. a mortgage. That's tough. Like I should not be giving that $12,000 away every month. I should be investing that back in, mm-hmm. in equity in our own facility. But the other thing is that we want to be able to have a facility that is built around our programs and services mm-hmm. rather than 
building our programs and services around Got the it. facility. And so we want to do a building campaign where we build something from the ground up. And um, we're, we are uh, moving along in that process. We actually uh, have contracted with Native American Development Corps out of okay. Billings, and they are helping us with new market tax credits, TIF, um, you know, all of the uh, funding tools that are available for development, you know, because this, again, I'm a healthcare administrator. I, uh, administrator. I don't know anything about, you know, development. That's not my, sure. my world. So that's why we work with them because they, they know these things. I, I am confident that the, the board and the administration of All Nations Health Center will continue to move that building campaign forward. It feels a little premature for me to hop off right now. Hmm. Um, and I, I do really see that. As, and that was part of, like I mentioned, that strategic plan. And that was in the strategic plan was we wanted to have our own building, our own home. And w- with all of the support that we've got from Headwaters, it's it's doable. It's 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 in reach. Yeah. Um, there's still obviously work that has to be done. But, you know, today I can say that it is in reach, whereas two, three years ago I cannot say that. Sure. And that'll be another transformation for the team and the organization and what y'all can do. Yeah. Um, let's pivot back to the county for a moment mm-hmm. in, our, in our closing time here together. And, you know, I, I think you know, at the onset, you talked about your experience in your master's degree with leadership education and your experience with Brenda and others um, building trust. And you referenced the importance of, as, as an incoming leader, building trust with your team. I mean, what are the key precepts of trust building that you've sort of learned through your experiences that you intend to, to bring to the table here? Yeah, and I mean, I, I touched on it before. It's that communication. The communication sure. is sort of the foundation for the trust. And so having, you know, bilateral communication, so it's 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 not just me telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, me talking to people and hearing from people so that we're actually having that exchange of information um, and having to be transparent and you know what I you know what I always say is that I realize that as a leader or a director the buck stops with me mm-hmm. I don't shy away from my responsibility that doesn't mean that I can't try to make decisions with the best and greatest amount of information possible hear from different perspectives, hear from everybody who might be impacted by that decision, hear from people who have expertise, experience, knowledge that can help me and help inform my decision so that it's hopefully as effective and and efficient as a outcome as it can possibly be. And even when, you know, conflict is actually really important for knowledge and communication. Mm -hmm. It's not just seeking out people who are going to say what I want them to say. Right. It's it's hearing people who have different points of views and contrasting points of views, and learning you know from from their point of view um, things that you know really I might not have ever considered, or learning about things that I might need to actually learn more about. <laughs> um, you know, it's conflict isn't fun, but conflict can actually, if managed correctly, can help fuel growth and and development yeah if you get through it productively there can be more trust on the other side exactly yeah you know i think maybe an interesting area to kind of drill on this concept is is the COVID 19 vaccine um i don't know you know how much 
you, work you've done in that space at All Nations, but the, the tribal communities in particular have been, a, a, if you're pro-vaccine, they've been a huge success story. The percentage of, of tribal members who've been vaccinated mm-hmm. is, 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 is ahead of pace nationwide. Exactly. Um, why do you think it's been so uh, embraced by that population? Because what we have seen historically is that any, you know, I, I know that uh, we think of COVID-19 as really, you know, the first pandemic in our lifetime, but it's not the first epidemic that Native peoples have had to face. We, mm-hmm. We've been through many, many, you know, we're in addition to COVID right now, you know, we have an MMIW epidemic. Like this is not our first <laughs> uh, go around w- with this kind of thing. And what we know is that any time there is a, a pandemic, an epidemic, a, a, any kind of public health concern, it's going to disproportionately impact our population mm. negatively. And so knowing that, we, history tells us that. We have hundreds of years of, of evidence that shows that that's true, that we are disproportionately impacted. Nationally, the Native organizations, you know, the National Indian Health Board, National Congress of American Indians, National Council of Urban Indian Health, the Urban Indian Health Institute, very early on said, we know that there is going to be a vaccine. We need to start doing that health education right now. That groundwork now. Yeah. And so we were doing that, you know, all the way back last fall before we even knew when, if and when we would have vaccines. We were already putting out culturally, you know, so I mentioned that word before, culturally Mm -hmm. congruent health education on, you know, preparing people that there is going to be a vaccine and that when it comes, this is why you want to make sure that you you get it. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that culturally congruent messaging in the mainstream community, a lot of what we see is, you know, protect yourself, do this for you, keep yourself healthy. That's not the messaging that's going to work in our community. Hmm. For us, it's, you know, protect our elders, protect our children. We have a, you know, a communal approach, um, you know, communal mindset. And there's a responsibility that goes along with that. We have a responsibility to, you know, not bring viruses home to our grandparents, aunties, uncles, kids, grandkids. And part of living up to that responsibility means vaccinating ourselves. And we got that message out. I feel like nationally we got that message out congruently and early enough that I I, I will admit I was blown away by our acceptance rate for the COVID-19 yeah. vaccine. I was really blown away. And so based on that experience, I mean, what are, Missoula County's done exceptionally well with getting folks vaccinated, but how do we do better? What have you learned that you think, I mean, maybe you can take some of these, these, these lessons from crafting culturally congruent messaging and experiences and extend that to the broader population. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, my personal background, my professional background is in Indian health. So I talk about, you know, culture from a, a native perspective. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is there are lots of cultures. Everybody's got a culture. Yeah. yeah. You know, ranching is a culture, you know, there's, you know, rural uh, living is a culture, um, you know. So there are ways to adapt messaging to be culturally congruent for people so that and it's just just a respectful thing to do. Sure. Give them information in a way that is congruent with their worldview and and their approach to to life. And you know, we can do that. And not only that, but you know, we we did this in in our community and I think that's sort of also what set us up for success is instead of telling people what you want them to know, 
ask them what they want to know. What is it that they're really concerned about? What is it that they really are on the fence about? Because, you know, you, you can, you know, say as an educated professional, I'm going to tell you this is what you need to know. But if you haven't hit what is really important to them, none of that messaging is going to be effective. Yeah, start with listening, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of finger wagging out there mm-hmm. on all sides, right? Yeah. And everybody thinks that they start from the premise that they're right and you're wrong. And I just have to, if I give you more information, mm-hmm. I'll change your mind. And that we know that doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. So, Deshane, I, I want to let you get back to your responsibilities for the day. This has been fantastic. What do you... Um, and we talked about a lot about your new role, but you know, what's your plan on day one? What are you going to hit the ground running with? Well, even before day one. <laughs> <laughs> so today, today, uh, what is today's the eleventh? So May eleventh, I actually uh, my next meeting is with Ellen Leahy. Um, so okay. the Transition. idea is to you know hopefully be prepared even before day one. <laughs> so you know, I mean, and that's I have had a career in Indian health. I've not ever worked in a county public health department. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely am going to have, you know, some some learning curve. And yeah, that's my first goal and responsibility is to try to learn as much as I can so that I can hit the ground running as quickly as possible and as well informed as possible. Super. And for folks not familiar with All Nations or for folks that just want to learn more about the Missoula City County Public Health Department, where would you direct them online? Yeah, so uh, All Nations, um, our website, www.allnations.health. Um, and then I have to admit, I don't know the County Health Department website have, address. People by, have Google. Exactly, right? by heart. But if you <laughs> Google, um, so it's the Missoula City County Health Department. Um, and yeah, and the, the health department on the county's website actually has a ton of information. I don't know the URL by heart, but I have been on the website many times. There is, it's actually, it is a treasure trove of information. I would recommend Googling, um, you know, Missoula City County uh, Health Department and going on their website and just seeing all of the amazing information that's on there. Indeed, it has been a treasure trove. I mean, I, my primary point of contact with it prior to COVID was in tracking, you know, Sarah Cofield's wonderful writing about the smoke. Um, but with all the, you know, the, the COVID salience, I've been on the site a lot and it's, it's, it's a great resource for folks. Deshane, best of luck and thank you for joining us today. Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. We're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. AJ Williams is our producer. VTO Jeff Amet and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.